Amen. Amen. Good morning. Good to see all of you this morning. We are right in the middle of fall break, so we've got a ton of people out of town this weekend. So that's why our attendance is rather low compared to what it normally is this, these days. But hopefully starting next Sunday, we'll start getting some folks back. A couple of reminders. Saturday, October the 21st is our church picnic out of Top of the World. Be a great time not only to come and get together with your church family, but I'm even going to say it would be a great weekend, both on Saturday and Sunday, to invite somebody to come with you. Maybe you know of an individual or a family who's been maybe searching even for a, a church family. Uh, it'd be a great way to sort of get them familiar with our, with our people and with our church uh, before even a Sunday or a Wednesday night. So that's Saturday, October the 21st. The sign-up sheet for that is out there in the lobby. We would love to see all of you out there. It's going to be beautiful. Uh, top of the world is just a beautiful place to have it. And uh, so anyway, we're looking forward to that day as well. And then Saturday, November the 4th, is our Understanding the Bible Seminar, where you can come for four hours on Saturday and learn how to get more out of your time in God's Word. I just would encourage all of you to take advantage of this seminar. Uh, I think it will benefit all of you. And again, please invite somebody to come with you. We have plenty of postcards out there at the information table that you can, can take and take one for yourself and sign up uh, and then take one to invite somebody else. Uh, I'd love to see over 100 for this seminar. Uh, like we did uh, the one for Revelation. And lunch will be provided. It will be a great lunch. So, you know, it's free. I mean, folks, I'm just telling you, you can't get these kind of seminars and this kind of information any better at a Bible college or seminary. And then, not to have to pay for it? I mean, you'd pay hundreds of dollars for the same class at, at a Bible college or seminar, seminary, and you're getting this for free. Uh, so I just would encourage you to take advantage of these seminars throughout the year. We're going to have another one in the spring, and then we'll have another one in the fall. And we're looking at maybe having two or three or four of these a year uh, because they, we feel like that they are so needed and that uh, there's something that, that folks respond to. So Philippians chapter 2. With all of that said, Philippians chapter 2. I want to attack this passage of Scripture this morning maybe a little bit differently than, than I normally do. What I'd like to do is to have us familiarize ourselves uh, with the passage. And so I'd like to sort of bring the passage to our minds first and familiarize ourselves with what's going on in the passage. And then I'd like to bring the passage to our heart. And I'd like, I'd like us to connect not only with it up here in our mind and intellectually and analytically, but I'd like us to connect with it on a, on a heart level, on an, an emotional, spiritual level, if, if you will. Because I see four principles here out of this information that I would like to share with all of us this morning. And beginning in chapter 2, verse 19, this is what I'm calling Paul's missionary report. Remember, Paul is in prison, and the church at Philippi, he had no closer relationship with a local church 
more than he did the church and the group of Christians at Philippi. And they were so concerned about Paul and his condition and how things were going with him. And let's remember something. Here's something you and I can't connect with in a passage like this. And that is that like, unlike today, where we can get information about people and what's going on in their lives almost instantaneously through our technology, we've got to remember back in these days, people could have went weeks and months without really knowing what was going on. They had to wait either for a letter to come, uh, which would travel long distances and take a long time, or they would have to wait for literally a person, like we're going to see here, literally travel to that place, get the information, and then travel back. So you can imagine, again, sort of the angst and the emotions that were involved when people had to wait to find out and hear how people dear to them, how people that they loved were doing in certain situations. Again, something that you and I maybe even take for granted today, they didn't have that luxury back then. And so... Here, I want us to go through this passage and just familiarize ourselves with the things that Paul is saying. And one thing you'll see is this, that even though this is Paul's missionary report back to the church at Philippi, and he wants to let them know, look, I'm in prison, but I'm okay. You don't have to you know, worry about me. I'm in a good place and God is using me. That you'll notice that he doesn't focus this report on himself. It's not a report where he's telling the church at Philippi how great he is and how wonderful he is and all of that. No, he's using this opportunity to literally bring before the Philippians two other servants of God, two quality servants of God who basically, you know, emulate and, and, and embody everything that Paul has already talked about in this, uh, in this letter about the only way to live and die. And basically, he's saying to them in this passage of Scripture, these two men, Timothy and Epaphroditus, these guys got it right. So keep following their example as well back in Philippi when I send them back to you. So let's pick it up in verse 19. And I just want to, again, share some thoughts with you to familiarize yourself with what's going on. And then let's talk about some heart issues out of this passage. Paul says, now I hope in the Lord Jesus, I'm actively waiting, if you will, for God's fulfillment, for God to make a way to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be encouraged by hearing news about you. Because just as the church in Philippi was concerned about Paul, Paul was concerned about the church at Philippi. He had heard that there was some dissension and division and rivalry and strife and people looking out for themselves and all of this. And so some of the reports that he was getting was concerning to him. And he wanted to see spiritually, especially how they were doing. Then notice what he says in verse 20. For there is no one, no other one here with him like Timothy 
who will readily demonstrate his deep concern for you. What Paul is saying in verse 20 is, there's no one I have here with me who is like-minded, who I consider a kindred spirit, who we are on the same page. We sort of get each other and we get what God's all about and what God wants to do. And he goes on to say about Timothy, Timothy, unlike many others, will readily demonstrate his deep concern for you. This guy truly and sincerely cares about you. And the language in the original is that because he always has you on his mind. He always has you on his mind because that's where care starts. If you and I care about somebody, if we are concerned about them, then they're going to be on our mind because it's out of our mind that action eventually happens. But it's got to start up here. And Paul's saying that about Timothy. Notice what he says in verse 21. Others are busy with their own concerns. So many others are focused on themselves, not those of Jesus Christ. In other words, so many even Christians, instead of focusing on the interests of Jesus, they're focused on their own interests. Instead of being resolved to pursue with great energy and effort the things that are of high value and high priority to Jesus, they're more interested in focusing on their own priorities and their own values. And then he says, like a son working with his father, he served with me in advancing the gospel, the message of God. The word served there means he offered up himself fully to Jesus and to Paul, great servant, Timothy. So he says, so I hope to send him as soon as I know more about my situation, you know, whether I'm going to get out of prison or not. Though Paul goes on to say, I am confident in the Lord, resting, if you will, in the Lord, that I too will be coming to see you soon. I think God gave Paul some insight that he would not be murdered, if you will, for the cause of Christ at this point. He would not be martyred at this point. He would be released and be able to continue to serve the Lord at this point in his life. Then he draws his attention from Timothy to another man, a man by the name of Epaphroditus, a man that the Philippian church sent with their blessing to minister to Paul. And notice what he says about this man. But for now, I have considered it necessary to send Epaphroditus to you. First of all, he says, Epaphroditus is my brother. Speaking about spiritual brother, not that Epaphroditus was his physical blood brother, but that he was a spiritual brother to Paul, which reminds us about the fact that we are part of the family of God in the body of Christ. Then he goes on to say, he's also my co-worker. He is a companion in ministry to me and then a fellow soldier on the battlefield of faith. Which again reminds us that ministry is a battlefield and that we not only need to think about serving and ministering and all of that, but the fact that we are to be soldiers of the Lord Jesus Christ, because we are in a battle, you see. 
And then he says, oh, and by the way, he's your messenger, your representative from the church at Philippi, and a minister to my need, to me. And the word minister here means that Epaphroditus, when he came to Rome from Philippi, it was at his own expense. The church did not sponsor Epaphroditus to make this trip because if you know about the church at Philippi, you know that it, is a, it was a very poor church as far as not spiritually. Spiritually, it was rich. But uh, uh, from physical, uh, material resources, the church at Philippi was a very poor church. And so they could not afford to send anyone. So Epaphroditus basically raised his hand and said, I'll go at my own expense. I'll pay my own way to get there so that, so that somebody can be there with Paul from our church so I can find out how he's doing and then I'll come back and report to you. Then he says, verse uh, 26, indeed, he greatly missed all of you while he was here. And that means that Epaphroditus had such great affection for his brothers and sisters in Christ in Philippi that when he was apart from them, even ministering to the great apostle Paul, his heart was back there too. He greatly missed them because he had great affection for them. That's what blows my mind when I hear Christians who just can miss Sunday after Sunday and week after week and month after month and never get together with their church family or their brothers and sisters in Christ and it not seem to bother them in any way. I think to myself, well, how much love and affection then do you really have for your brothers and sisters in Christ if when you're apart from them, you really don't miss them? Because see, to me, if we are really connected to each other as we're supposed to be, if we really have love for each other, if we really have great affection for each other like we're supposed to have, and Jesus said, by this kind of love shall all men know that you are my disciples. The kind of love I have for you is the same kind of love you are to have for each other. How can we say we have that love for each other and not miss each other when we're not with each other? That wasn't true of Epaphroditus. And then he goes on to say, he not only greatly missed all of you, he was distressed because you heard that he had been ill. In other words, Epaphroditus was deeply troubled and anguished that when the church at Philippi heard that he was gravely ill, and we're going to find out here in a minute, he almost died while he was ministering to Paul. He wasn't thinking about himself. He was thinking about them saying, oh, guys, you know, don't worry about me. You know, it, it'll be okay. I mean, even if I die, I know I'm going to go home to be with Jesus. It's, it's all good. And then he goes on to say, because you heard again that he had been ill. In fact, he became so ill that he nearly died. Verse 27. But God showed him mercy, great grace. And not to him only, but Paul says also to me so that I would not have grief Upon top of grief. Paul says, if God would have taken Epaphroditus home, he said, I would have been in painful sorrow. He said, there would have been a great sense of loss in my life because of this man. And again, it reminds me, how many even brothers and sisters in Christ, if God were to take them home, would we feel a great sense of loss for? Do we really feel that? with certain brothers and sisters in our life. We should, 
maybe with not everyone, but there should be brothers and sisters in Christ that we are close enough to and we are connected to and all of that, that if God took them home, there would be painful sorrow and grief and a great sense of loss in our life. Therefore, verse 28, Paul says, I am all the more eager to send him so that when you see him again, you can rejoice and I can be free from anxiety. Paul's saying, I've been in pain for all involved about this situation. Because he says, I'm here in prison. I want to let you know that I'm okay. You sent Epaphroditus to me to minister to me and to be a companion and and support me and, and keep me from being so lonely while I'm here. Yet while he was here, he almost died. And and I know he misses you. So I want to send him back to you because that would make me feel better that even though I don't have him with me anymore, I know he misses you and he needs to be back there in his home church and you all need to see him again and be encouraged. So again, you see the what's going on here. You get what's happening here. And then he says this. So welcome him in the Lord with great joy. Literally, Paul is saying, be ready, be on the lookout for him, and roll out the red carpet for him when he gets there. That's literally what the words mean. I love that. Paul says, be on the lookout for him. See him coming back. And when he gets there, you roll out the red carpet for this man. And then he says, and honor people like him. Value these kind of people, these brothers and sisters, highly. Regard them as a treasure, as precious to you in your life and in your church. Treat them that way. Honor them that way. Remind yourself of what you have in them. That's what Paul is saying to the church at Philippi. And then he says, since it was because of the work of Christ that he almost died. He risked his life so that he could make up for your inability to serve me. Simply meaning that Paul's saying, because we were so far apart and you you couldn't get to me and I obviously couldn't get to you, Epaphroditus was the one who was going to sort of stand in the gap. And Epaphroditus was willing to step forward and put himself out there knowing full well that he might not ever return from Rome. That's what the words risked his life. He knew. Now, I don't know whether that means that Epaphroditus wasn't in the best of health when he left or whatever, but Epaphroditus sort of had this inkling, if you will, this impression that he might not ever get back. That that he literally was risking his life, whether he thought maybe something would happen to him on the way to Rome or on the way back from Rome or while he was there. I don't know, but Paul is clearly saying this man was willing to step forward, knowing full well he might not ever come back for the work of Christ, to minister to another believer in Jesus Christ. What a great passage of scripture. And, And that's the first part. 
I wanted to just go through this and just sort of familiarize ourselves with what's going on. Again, even though this is a missionary report from Paul to the church at Philippi, as you can see, it's not as much about Paul and how things are going with Paul as it is Paul here is elevating two quality servants of God. He says, guys, when I send Timothy back to you and I send Epaphroditus back to you, I want you to know what you have in them. I want you to roll out the red, I want you to honor them because they are quality servants of God. Now, with all of that said, as I meditated on this passage of scripture and studied it and and read it time and time again, there were four principles in this missionary report of Paul that just really stood out to me that I want to share with all of us this morning. And this is where I want to go from simply connecting on an intellectual mind, um, you know, thinking level to a heart level. And the first one is this. The first principle from this missionary report is this. Joy, joy does not mean the absence of trial. Joy does not mean the absence of trial. This whole letter is about joy. Joy in the Lord. Gospel joy. Christ-like joy. Holy Spirit-empowered joy. I mean, Paul said even back in chapter 1, verse 27, I'm hoping that God will leave me behind and not take me to Christ, even though it's far better to be with Christ. Because he said, I want to stay behind so that I can help your progress and joy in the faith. Paul's saying, I'm willing to fight for your joy, Philippians. That's how important joy is to Paul. And then you'll notice in the verse right before the one we started to look at this morning, in chapter 2, verse 18, he talks about rejoicing together with him as the Philippian church. Then in chapter 3, he says, finally, brothers and sisters, verse 1, rejoice in the Lord. And of course, there's that very famous verse in chapter 4, verse 4, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice over and over and over again. This letter is about joy. But Paul's trying to tell us something very important as Christians. Joy doesn't mean the absence of trial. See, I think even for Christians, sometimes we think, well, joy is something that I experience only when everything in my life is humming and going well. And I don't, I don't have any pain in my life. I don't have any trouble in my life. I don't have any trial in my life. I don't have any suffering in my life. And God is saying to us clearly in his word, what I give you through the power of the Holy Spirit is supernatural. And it is something that you and I as followers of Jesus Christ can experience no matter what our circumstances are. Think of Paul. Paul was in prison. And yet he was a man full of joy. And yet you'll also notice in this passage, he was also a man who experienced and was experiencing sorrow because he thought his dear friend Epaphroditus was going to die. And he said, if he would have died, that would have been painful. But that didn't mean Paul would have ever lost his joy. And then Paul says, by the way, he says, I'm experiencing this anxiety for everybody involved. Not for me, but he said, I I have this pain for what Epaphroditus is going through because he misses you all. And I have pain because of of you all because I know that you're worried about me and you're worried about him and all of these things. And yet 
Paul still experienced joy. And then remember what Paul said earlier? He said, I look around and I have no other person besides Timothy and Epaphroditus that I feel is not focused so much on themselves that I could send back to you. So that had to bring Paul some pain too to look around at all these Christians around him in Rome and go, you know, I I wouldn't trust to send them back because I I think that they'd be all about themselves and, and not really focused on you guys back there. And yet in all of that, Paul is saying, I'm experiencing joy. We have got to get away from the mindset that joy is something somehow connected to my life circumstances, to to my life situation. No, it's far above that. It's far deeper than that. The joy that you and I can have in the Lord and through the power of the Lord is a supernatural thing. It it, it is that inner sense of well-being that no matter what is happening to us and even what we feel, we can feel pain and we can feel grief and we can feel sorrow and yet in a weird way we can still be full of joy. Only a Christian knows what that's really like. I mean, anybody who's lost someone dear to them you know as a Christian what that sort of feels like at the same time. It might seem sort of, you know, like an oxymoron or like, you know, directly contradicts each other, but it really doesn't. I'll give you a personal example. I remember 26, 7 years ago now when my father died. Oh man, I, I was filled with sorrow. I was filled with grief. But there was also this inexpressible, unexplainable joy in my life. Because I knew my dad knew the Lord and I knew my dad was in heaven and I knew one day I was going to see him again and spend all of eternity with him. So in the midst of my sorrow and grief, there was still joy there. It it didn't leave. And that's what Paul's saying here. He's saying, you're going to go through times where you're going to be sorrowful. You're going to experience pain as a Christian. You're going to go through trial. But that doesn't mean any of those things should take away your joy because our joy is something that the Holy Spirit supernaturally produces in the life of a yielded believer. So the first principle, joy is never the absence of trial. It is never something that you and I should or can experience only when everything in my life is just working out just the way I want it to. No, in fact, what makes it supernatural, what gives it that supernatural character is that you and I can experience things that humanly would be just the opposite of that and yet you and I can still have that deep inner sense of well-being that only comes from the Lord. Secondly, The Christian life is a life of companionship. Did you get that here? The Christian life is a life of companionship. Paul needed other Christians in his life. Read the 16th chapter of the book of Romans and you will see there where Paul listed by name all these different men and women that made a difference in his life, that supported him, that encouraged him, that made his life and ministry even so much more enjoyable and everything. Paul was never as great a Christian as Paul was. Paul never did his life on his own. He always had companions. 
And he always expressed the need for companions. And he always praised his companions. And verbally expressed to them what they meant to him. And yet this was a man, let's not forget, who had some very unusual experiences. This was a man who actually saw the Lord himself on the road to Damascus. He saw the Lord. This was a man who was given by God supernatural abilities that many never had. He was able to raise the dead. He was able to heal the sick. He was able to speak in tongues and interpret tongues. He was was caught up to the third heaven. He actually saw glimpses of glory. And yet this man, with all of these wonderful spiritual experiences, said, I need human beings in my life who will walk with me and be there by my side. Yes, I have the Lord, but I know that the Christian life is a life of companionship. And that's why you always see Paul talking about those people in his life. Those relationships in his life. Oh, that you and I would get that in this day and age where relationships companionships and all of that just becomes more and more hard to grab a hold of because we're all so busy doing our own thing and we don't take the time or make the time to build relationships and pour into relationships when at the end of all that's really what's going to matter our relationship with God and our relationship with each other and Paul is saying to all of us here and to the church at Philippi Take the time for your relationships and your companions. Those fellow believers that you're walking through life and doing ministry with. Because at the end of the day, that's what it's all about. And you're going to want, like Paul. Paul says, I didn't ask for this, but it was so cool that when I'm sitting there in prison, that the church at Philippi and this man Epaphroditus thought enough of me that he was willing at his own expense to take months of his life and basically put his life on hold and come and be with me in prison. You know, Paul gets all the credit, if you will, for his Christian life. Paul gets all the glory. And yet Paul needed people like Epaphroditus that most Christians don't even know his name who made as much a difference in Paul's life as anybody because he was willing to walk and be there with Paul in the good times and in the bad times. Third, our first priority should be the interests of Jesus Christ. Our first priority should be the interests of Jesus Christ. Again, let's recall what Paul said when he was talking about Timothy. He said, I look around here in Rome and I have no other person, no one like-minded, no other kindred spirit that I feel like I can send back to you because everyone else is really focused on themselves, not the interests of Jesus Christ. Verse 21, chapter 2 of Philippians. Others are busy with their own concerns not those of Jesus Christ. 
And he is saying to all of us by using Timothy as an example, are we really resolved? Because that's what the word means. Are we really resolved to pursue with great energy and great effort what is of highest value and highest priority to Jesus? Not what is my priority, what is of high value to me, but finding out, Jesus, what is your priority? What are your values? And then throwing ourselves in and doing everything we can to pursue the interests of Jesus Christ. And let me say this before I share the last one with you this morning. What is the great interest of Jesus Christ? Think about it in the context of this passage here in Philippians chapter 2. What's the great interest of Jesus Christ? People. Is it not? What was Timothy doing? He was ministering to Paul, a fellow Christian. What was Timothy going to be doing when he was sent back to Philippi? He was going to minister in the church at Philippi. What was Epaphroditus doing? He was ministering to Paul, the apostle. See, what what Paul is saying is that when you and I as Christians look for ministry, and this is something we're trying to break the mold of even here a little bit at the Oasis, is so many Christians today, they want to come to a church like this. They want the church to have a list of, you know, 50 programs to sign up for, and not that we don't have any, and make it real, you know, sort of easy, like, Put the training wheels on. Make it as easy as possible. You know, you you couple of people there that are leading that ministry, you do everything. And all I have to do is show up on a Saturday for a couple hours and I can check a box, make myself feel real good that I serve the Lord for a couple of hours. And I'm not saying that there's necessarily anything wrong with that, but we've got to expand that that's what ministry is. Because really what ministry is at its basic level is people. So in other words, what Paul is saying, what the Word of God is saying is, as you look around even at this auditorium this morning, every person that your eye comes in contact with, that's a ministry opportunity. And I don't need some church to create a program to tell me, oh, I need to go minister. What we need to do is build relationships and connect with each other enough to know at least even what can I do for you or what's going on in your life or even for people to be willing to allow people into that level so that we can just start ministering to each other without the church having to always say, well, now this is what ministry is. It's doing this, it's doing that. No, ministry is just, again, not being so focused on myself that I can't see that maybe the person I'm sitting next to or the person that I'm sitting in the row in front of me or behind me, maybe there's a ministry opportunity there. And maybe I just need to start getting to know some people. And as soon as you and I start getting to know people, I guarantee you, you'll start to find out ministry opportunities. Because you'll start to hear the things that's going on in their life and in their heart and in their mind. And all of a sudden, you're going to start to go, you know what, I know what I can do now to help them or to encourage them or do this or that. But it all starts with having to have a relationship with somebody, which is what Paul is saying. That's what Jesus is interested in. Isn't that why Jesus left the glory of heaven and came to earth and died on the cross? Was because it wasn't his own interest to do that. It was for the interest of us. 
And any of us here who know the Lord is our Savior and our sins are forgiven and we're on our way to heaven and we have eternal life and all those wonderful things, it wasn't because Jesus cared about His own interest. He cared about us. And then finally, which goes along with that, we should be prepared to sacrifice for the work of Christ. And I really want to focus on that word sacrifice. We should be prepared to sacrifice for the work of Christ. I mean, again, you think of this passage. What did Paul say about Timothy? Timothy fully offered himself up to serve me, Paul said, and to serve alongside of me. What did he say about Epaphroditus? At his own expense, Epaphroditus made this long trip from his hometown and home church in Philippi all the way over to Rome, spent months with me at his own expense. That's sacrifice. And then he says, and while he was there, he risked his own life. He was near death for the work of Christ, he says. I love that. Not that I love the fact that he was near death, But he says in in verse 30, so since it was because for the work of Christ that he almost died. Wow. Sacrifice. Think of Paul. Paul was willing to sacrifice his freedom, his life for the message of the gospel. What are we really willing to and prepared to sacrifice for the kingdom of God and for the work of Christ. I think so many of us in our modern, even Christianity, our service, if you will, and our ministry really doesn't cost us anything. I mean, what, what really do we sacrifice to somehow minister for God and minister in the lives of others? Do we really sacrifice? And yet David even said, I will not offer to the Lord that which costs me what? Nothing. David said, for me, how can I bring to the Lord and offer anything from my life to Him that didn't cost me something? That I didn't have to sacrifice for. Again, So many want to serve and minister, but it's at their convenience. It's when it fits into their schedule. Don't don't ask me to go out of my way. Don't ask me to go an extra mile, if you will. Don't ask me to turn the cheek and offer them the other cheek. Don't talk to me about sacrifice. And yet, Every time we think about Jesus, how can we not think about his whole life was sacrifice? And he asks of us the very same thing. Would you be willing to follow me and take up your cross, deny self, and follow me? So today, as we connected with this passage on a mind-thinking level, but also hopefully at a heart level, I want to ask you this question. What is it that God may be asking you to step up and step forward and sacrifice for the kingdom, for the work of Christ? 
Are you even serving and sacrificing at all at this point? Is there anything that you're doing and I'm doing at this point in my life with Christ and with my fellow believers even that costs me something? Paul said, four principles. Joy does not mean the absence of trial. The Christian life is a life of companionship. Our first priority should be the interest of Jesus Christ. And we should be prepared to sacrifice for the work of Christ. Let's stand. God, I pray today that just like Paul wanted to use Timothy and Epaphroditus as examples to set before the church at Philippi, that we would also set them before the church of the Oasis here today. And that we would take from this passage of Scripture and from their lives and their service and sacrifice some things that maybe we need to be reminded of and challenged with and instructed of. Help us to see, God, that these Christians were willing to lay it all on the line for your kingdom to minister to the needs of others, even if it meant sacrifice, even if it meant inconvenience, even if it meant cost them greatly. We're going to see these men in heaven one day. And I think to myself, how's it going to be when a modern day Christian from today runs into someone like Epaphroditus in heaven and Epaphroditus... Someone said, hey, this was the guy in the book of Philippians that was willing to risk his life for the work of Christ. And some modern day Christian says, yeah, I couldn't even get up on time and be at church on time on Sunday morning. Wow. Are we really, really pursuing with all of our energy and effort what is of high value and great interest to the Lord. Lord, I pray you would deal with all of us this morning. And God, as we sing this song about the great sacrifice that you made for us, may you lead us to that cross so that we are willing to lay down our lives for the sake of others as well. Because you taught us very clearly, greater love has no one than this, that a man or a woman would lay down their life for others. God, we know we can't do that on our own. In fact, that repulses us on a human level. But through the power of your Holy Spirit, God, we can be willing, truly willing to lay down our lives for the sake of others. Would you enable us to all go to a next level, God, in our sacrifice and service for you today? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.